Welcome to the Hydric and Struggles Leadership Podcast. Hydric is the premier global provider of senior level executive search and leadership consulting services. Diversity and inclusion, leading through tumultuous times, and building thriving teams and organizations are among the core issues we talk with leaders about every day, including in our podcasts. Thank you for joining the conversation. Hello, everybody. I'm Roger Maus, a partner in Hydric and Struggles, based in the Amsterdam office, a member of the corporate officers and industrial practice. And in today's podcast, I'm talking to Michael Hinze, the global head of HR at Munich Re, which is a global provider of reinsurance, primary insurance, and risk insurance-related risk solutions. Uh, Michael spent his early days at uh, at GE, that's where we know each other from, and then later on he joined uh, Unicredit as the EVP and Global Head of Human Resources, Corporates and Investment Banking, and as of 2016, he's the Global Head of HR at Munich Re. Michael, welcome, and and thank you for taking the time today to to speak with us. Yeah, hi Roger, and uh, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, I'm really glad to see you again, even if it's um, only virtually. Hopefully that will change soon, right? Yes. Um, you know, we have a number of, of topics we, uh, we will address today. Um, one of them, and it's one of your key drivers in, in Munich's race strategy, is uh, digitalization. Um, and that, as, as you know, being an important part also of your HR strategy. Could you please explain you know, why it's so important and also what it means in terms of implementing and moving into the right direction. Munich Re is covering a wide range of risks uh, from uh, weather and climate risks to cybersecurity and, uh, and health risks. The clients of Munich Re are typically other insurance companies uh, for which we assure uh, part of the risk um, they are taking. So. If you look at all the reinsurance cover we are providing from life, health, casualty insurance, transport, aviation, space, fire, engineering, all those kinds of things, um, the impact of digitalization almost becomes obvious. So in our view, um, we are living in one of the biggest transformation we have seen in our industry, which is getting into the digital age. If you translate that to the HR strategy, there is maybe three elements to mention. First of all, digitalization changes the way we work and the way we collaborate and we we take decisions. It also changes what and how we learn. Uh, Think about the good old days where we were sitting in seminars and for three days and these days are over and, um, and from an HR point of view, we have to cater for that. And maybe most of all, digitalization changes the expectation of our current and future workforce. And that is something many, many employers haven't fully grasped. And, um, and if you look at the, the, the level of digitalization of our children, say the generation Y and Z, is uncomparable to kind of what we have uh, grown up with. The first thing you mentioned was, you know, way of working. Could you give us, you know, one or two examples where you can say, you know, this is how it is changing in our day-to-day life and how the way we work at Munich Re? Yeah. 
it, and this is something which is accelerated with the um, uh, with the current situation around COVID. And remember, uh, a little bit more than a year ago, the entire global workforce of almost any corporation, if it wasn't a manufacturing uh, kind of workforce, uh, went into a totally different state of working than we've ever worked before. So there's there's three elements which, which are impacted. First of all, the workplace. So we don't go to the office anymore and it's questionable whether we will return the same way as we went there. Uh, secondly, the processes and tools um, uh, we are using. Now look at our, our conversation right now. We are sitting at home. We are looking at each other via a screen and recording our conversation. Unheard of. Uh, two years ago, we would have had this kind of format probably in a conference or somewhere on stage. So it's totally changing. And um, the other thing which is changing is our collaboration model. Since um, we don't go into workshops anymore these days, uh, and since um, our business success depends on our ability to reach out to other people, that is a driver of digitalization, which is something we haven't had before to that extent. Isn't there a risk, I would think, in terms of that you have a tendency to over-digitize? And how do you make sure that you have the right balance between, you know, digitizing processes and ways of working, but also making sure that there still is this human face-to-face -face interaction? Look, this is something which which didn't become obvious in the very first days when we went um, into uh, working from home mode. But think about all the people who have joined um, the professional life or have changed company the last 15 months or so. They find it extremely hard and extremely difficult to getting into an organization, to build the network, also to convince other people of their performance level. So it's becoming much more difficult to shine uh, in a certain way. And this is something when we talk to our uh, graduate trainees and to our upcoming leaders, they suffer from that a lot, number one. Number two, we find that mostly all the recurring processes we work on, it, it, that works very fine work doing these from home. If you look at any element where you have to create something or you are even creative or you have to build something or you have to come up with something new, to do that in a remote way is extremely hard. So I suppose there is an impact or there can be an impact on your capability to innovate if you prolong the current status quo for too long. So from a company point of view, we are very, very eager to get into a situation where we can welcome people back into the office, but for a reason. Uh, and the reason is collaboration, working together, brainstorming, figuring things out, resolving problems. One of the things we are hearing quite a lot is, you know, the well-being of the workforce, people, you know, becoming isolated. What's your experience? That is actually an issue. The feeling of being out there and not being fully supported is, is growing as we, as we are moving further along in the current situation. 
What people want these days is to continuously stay in touch with their organization and with their leaders. So we have developed a lot of different formats, uh, which we are asking our leaders uh, to do in order to achieve that. I, I give you a few examples. We are doing, uh, with all parts of the organization, regular, we call it check-in calls, meaning I call you Monday morning and I check, hey, Roger, how is it going? How are you doing? Are you doing okay? Then we're doing stand-up meetings. So we're, putting, we're bringing teams or departments together, no agenda, and, and people can share what they are up to, what they are working on, or, or any concerns or things like that. We're having scoffies, so one-to-one -one meetings between team members or um, a department head and their people, 15 minutes uh, to have a chat. Brown bag sessions, which we are using a lot these days in order to, to share expertise. So I'm, I'm, and I'm talking um, a, a technical expertise. And last but not least, uh, something we call a feedback walk, which is, um, uh, of course, not a walk because it's from uh, the home office location where we are sharing feedback on how certain things are progressing or not progressing uh, with the people. So all these formats are, are meant to address the concern that people should not be left out there uh, without a regular conversation and without a regular feedback. Right. And I assume that you are also measuring this via KPIs like employee engagement, percentage of absenteeism. What, what is the trend you are seeing uh, in, in, within, you know, let's say the, the current situation of COVID? Yeah, we measure a lot, actually. We measure the communication approach every four to five months with very quick surveys, three or four questions, but to the global workforce. And that measures how the communication style in the, um, in the company uh, evolves. We also had a uh, almost traditional but very large uh, global engagement survey in which there was a separate section of COVID-related questions. And we found that our employees' motivation right now is at a peak. And why is that? It's because, and that's what they told us, they feel very well being taken care of in that moment of crisis. So it's not necessarily re related to the role and the, and the manager and, and the job. It's related to the fact that how well we are taking care of them. Um, they feel that the management of um, availability works quite well. Uh, they feel that they can be productive, which, by the way, wasn't totally obvious 13 months ago when we went working from home. They feel the collaboration and the support of the leaders and the um, enhanced communication in, in our company. So these um, are, are all good things. But I also have to say workforce has become more demanding. So the things which I mentioned, which uh, they like, is also something they really expect. So in, in almost scientific terms, it's not necessarily a motivator, but the lack of those um, elements can easily demotivate people. So it's something you have to continuously watch. Moving to another topic. You work for an American multinational, you work for an Italian one, and currently for a German multinational. Could you 
share with us, you know, your experience. How did you handle these changes, moving into a different sector, into a different, let's say, company culture? I started my, my professional career in the water treatment business. Even being an HR person, I loved water treatment, industrial water treatment. I think it's totally fascinating. Then I went into silicon um, uh, industry, which is a very, very versatile industry. And I really started to love those types of industries, and I was fascinated by that. Then I went from equipment finance into investment banking. And again, it was so fascinating, and I realized that despite all the stuff which is being said about investment bankers, it's incredibly important for our societies. Not a single bridge will be built if there are no investment bankers in the world. And then I don't even start about reinsurance and all, and all the risks uh, we are covering, weather and climate and, and, and cyber and health. So it's something which is personal to me. It's, it's a passion for the industries I'm, I'm, I'm working in, which I think helped a lot. Yeah. In your view, is the uh, the war on talent, is that still the case or is it changing? So the war for talent is on the attraction side, on the retention side, and also on the development side. I don't like, um, I don't like the term war that much, but for sure you have to continuously convince um, a top performer why you are the perfect employer for that person. That is a lot of effort which has to go into that. And and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but but is there also a link with you know what you could say inclusiveness, creating the right working environment? Yes, I, I give you an example. If you look at the good old old-fashioned performance management systems, it's typically a process which is uh, SAP or Workday or Oracle driven where you have to continuously go back and forth to your computer, type something into a system, and the person um, who you are assessing has to type something back. It's cumbersome, it's complex, It, in, in our view, it didn't create any value. So we got rid of it completely. And there was an assumption, and the assumption is that performance happens every day, every minute um, you, you are working. And if we want to manage performance, we have to get in tune with this type of fact and not have a once in a year around Christmas time, um, and I'm a little bit ironic now, dancing around the computer, typing in stuff into the computer, and then say, ah, this is now performance management. So we got rid of that altogether. Um, and I think in our industry, we were one of the first. And we replaced it by um, something we call continuous conversation, which basically says that, no, there are no formal ratings, there are no formal processes, but you need to talk to your people and you need to talk to your people every day. And then there's three elements to that. Number one, we call it commitment. An employee has to understand at all times what is expected. What am I supposed to do? What do I need to do? What do you want me to do? Needs to be fully aware of that. And you'd be surprised if you sometimes ask people whether they know, how often people say, well, I'm not totally clear. I think I know. Or they make stuff up um, themselves. So number one is commitment. Number two, once you are clear on what you need to um, uh, deliver, is feedback. Where do you stand? How is it going? 
have you done the things you were supposed to do uh, according to expectation? And then there is resulting from the commitment and the feedback piece, the third element, which we call development. Because always, always, always there's probably something you could have done better or different or something you want to do, but you're not able to do today in terms of career progression. And the development piece describes where am I going and what do I need to do in order to get there? So those three elements, commitment, feedback, and development in a very, very continuous fashion, but without the need to record and, and to go to computers, is, um, is our system of uh, performance management now. I'm tempted to say, you know, in order to have that ongoing dialogue, you also need to create the right environment. Yeah. And I think, you know, so in that regard, right, we talk a lot and you hear that about diversity and inclusiveness. What, what's your take on that? So if you have a mindset in the organization where every opinion is welcome and, and every viewpoint is first of all being seen as at least interesting, then diversity shouldn't even come up as an issue. So I believe that the diversity challenges we have in almost every industry almost every organization is coming from the fact that there is a lack of inclusion. If, if you want to address this, then there's two things as, as always in life. Uh, one is you, you try to, to change the mindset. And in some cases, it also means changing the people, by the way. But changing the mindset, communication campaigns, dialogues, role modeling, those types of things. Um, but also you have to implement rock solid processes, in particular on diversity. Number one is staffing. If you don't build elements of fair, um, fair um, uh, attraction or, or fair selection into your staffing uh, principles, then you have a problem. So long listing, short listing, the um, diagnostic uh, processes all have to be looked at. Second is talent management. Since I was CHO, I always made sure that in our talent programs, so the graduate programs, trainee programs, however you want to call them, I always said 50-50. Uh, and in Europe, it's mostly about gender. So in, in Europe, I said 50% women, 50% male. Ah, but it's so difficult to recruit. I don't care. 50% women, 50% men. You do it. So it was um, a, a rock-solid process and there was no deviation um, allowed. Second thing is self-nomination. I love career programs where you actually can raise your hand uh, and, and offer yourself to become part of that because typically many companies nominate you as a talent. So... Ah, Roger, I nominate you to take place in uh, or to take part in that program. I'm moving as much as I can to self-nomination. So people can raise their hand. And if they raise their hands, they will be considered. If you don't raise your hand, then, uh, then you don't. And, and the third part is sponsoring. And we, we heard it a million times, but you have, you, you've got to have the buy-in of uh, the senior management. You've got to have the active buy-in of the, um, of the CEO, you've got to have in place your mentor programs, your talent uh, identification programs, projects where people can shine. So in that regard, IND 
progress should resemble also or should match the quality of your talent and selection um, procedures. You already, you know, touched a little bit, you know, the, the pandemic, right? What kind of change have you seen within the HR function? This was actually amazing. And, and let me tell you the little story. It was mid-March uh, last year where it was different speed, but in almost all parts of the world, uh, the pandemic broke. And it meant something to the people. They couldn't come to the office anymore or some of their relatives became ill and so on and so, so forth. That was the moment where in, in my company in Munich Re, the HR function really has risen to the challenge. And, and, you, and you need to understand that we are operating in 50 countries around the globe. So we got on a call every single day in the first few months First of all, to share what is going on, what's the situation, then to share how do we respond to that, because consistency is extremely important. And at that moment, especially when it comes dealing with the people, the HR function was the function in our organization, which was equipped and able and operating in a way already to make them able to do that. So we really took the lead. And I have to say, together with the colleagues from IT, who I cannot mention enough how, how valuable they were, to kind of keep the company afloat. So that was, for me, one of the, one of the big moments in my career. Having been, you know, a, a, an HR leader and a CHRO for pretty, quite, quite a long time in your situation, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> First of all, you know, what is your advice for future CHROs? And secondly, what, uh, based upon your experiences in the job, what do you see as the new skill sets and new behaviors that CHROs need to de develop in order to, you know, to be successful? First of all, I, I don't think that the, the skill sets and the behaviors of successful CHROs have fundamentally changed, uh, with one exception, which, which I'll come to that later. What I find successful CHROs are doing is they always have a very, very solid understanding on the business equation, on the market and the customers, the industry they are working in, and they're able to translate that into their own agenda. And they translate it in a way that it simplifies a lot of the complexity which is out there. So understand the business deeply, be a clear communicator and simplify the strategy into almost simple, simple action. And then there's a third element, which sometimes CHOs don't like that much, but I think it's important. You have to have a lot of imagination and, and being able to take an informed risk on people and, and even more than on people, on ideas. Because otherwise there is no innovation. If you don't, if you don't take risk on ideas, you, you continue doing what you're doing uh, forever. Um, then of course, any CHRO is not uh, isolated in space. There's always teams uh, working for the same function. And those teams typically um, have a lot of variety from specialists on talent development to someone who's making sure we are getting paid. And, and you've got to be able to energize 
all those teams by, by being inclusive, as we said before, and connecting with people um, on all levels. Just don't be a CHRO uh, who connects with the CEO or with the senior management team. You've got to connect on all levels. And, and this is something mm, I hope I won't get um, uh, killed for that. Uh, let's not forget the importance of domain expertise. Um, and I find lately that we are kind of underwhelming this a little bit. If you are CHRO of a large organization, you have to succeed in growth scenarios, in downsizing scenarios, in restructuring, in changing um, uh, the, the talent story. So you have to know your stuff. And there's a lot of expertise Uh, one has to bring to the table if if you want to be an impactful, successful CHO. And then there is this element, which I mentioned before, which I really think has changed. And this is something which came to my conclusion the last few years or so. And this is controversial. But I sincerely believe that the, the CHO has a driver of digitalization in the company. It's not... Only uh, IT is a CHO because the digitalization has an immediate impact on the people, on the quality of the people, and digitalization and people are inseparable. Inseparable. So for me, every CHO has to have the element of digitalization on his or her agenda. And the digitalization, Michael, just to get it right for myself, is then all it's not only digitizing processes and ways of working but it's also getting into the power of data data analytics oh, and yeah. the insights coming out of that right yeah yeah because it's expected from us to make recommendation and um and to take decisions based on facts and fact means data and um and since the hr function is shouldn't be the old mom and pop function anymore. Um, you have to have a good handle on uh, data analytics, uh, data interpretation, and taking the right conclusion. One final yep. question: What is you know the the most important way your organization is 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 building on on the lessons learned from the pandemic? We found when the pandemic broke that. Our organization is much more resilient and much more adaptable and self-directing as we may have thought before. And I hope people don't misunderstand. Um, we always have a very, very high opinion about our organization. But this experience um, blew it a bit out of the park. And we kind of thought... If we are exposed to black swan events, which the pandemic is, it's a black swan, the ability for us to react to that is actually very high. So we want to maintain that and, and we want to even make use of the fact that our organization is, and our people are self-directed, intrinsically motivated. And, and with that, our learning is to get into a situation where we have more, where we give more freedom to decide to the people, less rules, less processes, being much more smarter and much more lean than we were before. And that means we have to redefine our, uh, our model um, uh, towards how we, how we work with the employees 
And this is a big learning and, and this learning is not even over yet. And, and so this will change our company culture sustainably. Right. And, and, you know, drive an empowering leadership style on the basis of trust. That is something which has become obvious. That is not just a textbook saying, but it really creates a, a huge impact, uh, meaning um, have people who are more satisfied, uh, who are more creative with less almost cost because uh, you don't have to spend that much time anymore to figure out whether everybody is doing what he or she is supposed to do. We can safely assume that people know exactly what they should do. And we can also safely assume, and, and the last 15 months have shown that, that people are highly motivated no matter what. So let them do what they need to do um, and, and have sufficient trust in them. Thank you. I think that was a uh, a very impressive way of of, of finalizing thank this, you. this session. You know, well done, um, and thank you for for making the time available to speak with us today, Michael. Thanks and take care. Thank you, Roger. Okay. And thanks for giving me the opportunity. Thanks for listening to the Hydrogen Struggles Leadership Podcast. To make sure you don't miss more future shaping ideas and conversations, please subscribe to our channel on the podcast app. And if you're listening via LinkedIn, Twitter or YouTube, why not share this with your connections? Until next time.